You may open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I hope in the singing of the hymn that we just sang, Break Thou the Bread of Life, that you did not overlook the words of that fourth verse that said, the truth of God is concealed in the Bible. And it is revealed in the Bible. God has written His Word in such a way that if you don't approach it the way He's told you to approach it, in humility, in fear, in prayer, with His Spirit, in obedience, the truth is hid in the Bible. It cannot be found by anyone by natural means. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes and the priests of Israel in the days of Jesus Christ, knew the Word of God better than you can even imagine knowing it. Some of them were, were said to be able to quote the entire Old Testament. Some of them knew the number of words in books. They could tell you all about the Old Testament as far as its letter. Yet they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ because the truth of its message was beyond them. Because God had sealed up their eyes, ears, and hearts so that they could not see the truth of His Word. And so they crucified the Lord of glory. And so we just sang, and I hope that as you sing, you sing with the understanding because that's a commandment of the New Testament. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. And we just sang the words that God's Bible has the truth concealed in it and revealed. Our brother just a few minutes ago read 2 Thessalonians 2. And I want us to turn back to those verses because they are so precious when it comes to this subject of truth. This morning I'd like to preach to you for a little while about truth. Is truth a right that you have? Is truth something you deserve and truth something that you can just reach out and take whenever you want it? Or is truth a blessed privilege given by God to those that He chooses to reveal it to. And if it be that, if that be the case, then we better humble ourselves this morning and thank the God of heaven for any truth that we do see and beg Him for any more truth that He has for us. Because it is a gift from heaven. It is not a right. Man is so proud, he thinks God owes him the truth and that he can obtain it whenever he well chooses to go looking for it. But that is not the case. The Bible overthrows this delusion. The Bible tells us that God owes the truth to none. He gives it only to a few. He hides it from the rest. And those few ought to bless and praise the God of heaven. Here's the first reference that we'll look at. When we look at 2 Thessalonians 2.13, we begin with an adversative conjunction, but. An adversative conjunction means that Paul is connecting two thoughts here, but they're set in opposition to each other. Verses 9 through 12, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12, are describing God's judgment on His enemies and on wicked men who do not love the truth. And look what it says about what God did to them. In verse 11, And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure 
in unrighteousness. When someone does not love the truth that God offers. When someone takes pleasure in sin, even though the Bible condemns those sins, God is not bound to continue showing them the truth. In fact, this passage tells us that God Himself will send them. He Himself sends them strong delusion. That they should. Here's the purpose of His sending delusion. That they should believe a lie. For what purpose would that be? That they all might be damned to believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But, oh, thank you, Lord, for the buts in the Bible. Look at that but in verse 13. But, Paul and his apostolic and ministerial fellows said we are bound to give thanks Always to God for you. But, so far from God sending these Thessalonians strong delusion that they would believe a lie, God sent them the truth. And notice what the belief of the truth is based on. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. It was God's love that was the foundation of this difference. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. God chose these Thessalonian saints. You know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 tells us that Paul knew they were the elect of God because of their character and their Christian conduct. But here he says, we are bound to give thanks because God from the beginning chose to sanctify you by His Spirit and to send you the truth and that you would believe it which is a gift of God. And he said we are bound. And I hope this morning you feel bound in your spirit that we better give thanks to God for the truth that we understand. Because we do not deserve it. We are not worthy of the least of all the truth of God's Word that He has shown us. And the difference between verses 9-12 through and 13 is enormous. The difference is not small. In one place, he's sending strong delusion to believe a lie that they might be damned. In the other place, he has chosen out of his love for them to send the truth that they might be saved. What a huge difference. Thank you, Lord. Because the difference was not the Thessalonians. The difference was the God of the Thessalonians. And he's our God today. Truth is rare. There are six and a half billion people on our planet today. It's growing all the time. I remember as a 10-year-old, there was only 3 billion. That's a lot of growth in a short life. But we're up to 6.5 billion. There's a billion Buddhists. They don't have any truth. There's a billion Hindus. They don't have any truth. There's a billion Muslims. They don't have any truth. And that's half the earth's population without considering Shintoism, Taoism, and all the other isms that men have devised where God has given them over to strong delusion. The World Almanac would tell you that there's two billion Christians in the world today. Well, out of those two billion Christians, let's think about 1.1 billion that are adherents of the Roman Catholic system. They're taking in a mass right now and they believe that God is a cracker. And they can eat God, body, blood, soul, and divinity in their doctrine of transubstantiation. 
They pour a little water in the form of a cross on the forehead of a baby and think it's a baptism. They worship Mary and call her the mother of God. I'll tell you one thing about the God I worship. He doesn't have a mother. Amen. He's the creator of heaven and earth. Amen. And Mary was His creation as much as any other woman. And she was as much as need in Him of saving her as was any other sinner. But that's 1.1 billion of those that call themselves Christians. Truth is rare in the earth. Truth is rare. If we add to the Catholics all the Orthodox faiths and all the Protestants who still can't figure out baptism, even the truth of baptism comes down to a very small minority. And the truth of baptism is so simple to learn from reading your Bible. We come down to the Baptists. There's 50 million Baptists in the whole earth. It's not very many. You know, we're about 1.5%. Or we're less than that of the earth's population. We're less than a percent of the earth's population. And yet among the Baptists, there's Baptist churches ordaining women. There's Baptist churches saying, we don't care how you're baptized anymore. We used to care, but we don't, we don't care anymore. And they're watering down the very truth that was once committed to them. Amen. And so truth is very rare in the earth. Amen. You know, we're in the perilous times of the last days. The Bible said the time would come when they would not endure sound doctrine. And we're there. Churches and people that go to church no longer want sound doctrine. They do not want the Word of God preached. They want to be entertained. They want fables. They want music. They want a show. But they don't want the Word of God pounded from pulpits. And this is a change that's taken place in my lifetime and the lifetimes of some of you that are old enough to know about that change. It's called the perilous times of the last days. They would not endure sound doctrine and they would turn their ears away from the truth and be turned unto fables. And we are living in that time today. Truth is rare in the earth. But God said, and Jesus said this about Him, the Father seeks those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is only worshipped in truth. God only accepts worship that is in truth. Therefore, the true worshipers of God in the earth today are very few. To the degree that God has shown us His truth, we should bless and praise His holy name. To the degree we do not see all of His truth yet, we should beg Him for it. Father in heaven, we give Thee thanks, O Lord of heaven and earth, that Thou hast hid the things of Thy Word from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes, even to us. And we humble ourselves before Thee, O Lord, and we are not ashamed to admit that we are but babes in the sight of this world and in Thy sight. We thank Thee for every bit of truth that You have shown us from Your Word. And we commit our souls in this hour that we will not depart from those words, but we will keep all Your commandments. Have mercy upon us. What truth we do not see, O Lord, open our eyes that we might see it. And by Thy Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds that we might believe it and understand it. Heavenly Father, we wait upon Thee. Without Your help, we can see and know nothing but vanity. And we pray that You would bless us. We are thankful. As Paul said, we ought to be bound in thanksgiving for all that Thou hast taught us. Bless us now in Your Word. 
we ask in Jesus' name. And for His honor and glory, He is the truth, the faithful and true witness. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. Truth is rare. And if we don't worship in truth, our worship is unacceptable. And the Bible warned us that there would be a great turning away from the truth, and we're living in those days. So it is our duty to exalt truth, love truth, defend truth, promote truth, talk about truth, and blast out against error. Genesis chapter 32, this is the story of Jacob. It's in the front of your Bibles. We quickly come to it when we're reading the lives of the patriarchs. And we come to Genesis chapter 32 and Jacob's in prayer. And he says in verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. This morning, we're asking and answering the question, is truth a right? Do men have a right to truth? Do men put God under obligation that He has to show them the truth? Or is truth a privilege that He shows to some and withholds from others? And if that latter case be true, as I've already said, we're bound to give thanks, and we are bound to take the truth that we've been shown very seriously to protect it, and to defend it. Here, we have an answer to the question. If truth is a right, if truth is a right that was owed to Jacob, why was Jacob thankful for it? Why did Jacob say he was unworthy of it if it was a right? If you are owed something, it is your right to get it. If something is due to you, then it's your right. But Jacob did not look that way at truth. He looked at truth as being a gift from God to him. And so he was thankful for it. And he said, I am not worthy of it. I have no right or claim to the truth that you have shown me. But I thank you for all the truth that you have shown me. Look at those words again. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. It should be part of our prayers. Lord, I am thankful for the truth that you have shown me. So that we can be like Jacob. This was a God-blessed man because he was thankful for truth. God has shown us truth. You should be thankful you're not a Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Catholic, Presbyterian, Seventh-day Adventist, Mormon, and all the other isms and Asians in the earth. And so we should give God thanks for that, just as Jacob did here. Truth is not a right, or Jacob wouldn't have said he was unworthy of it and to be thankful for it. Look at Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. The most important man on earth. In the time of Exodus chapter 7. Was Pharaoh. King of Egypt. God of the Egyptians. 
he asked a foolish question when Moses came and said, let my people go. He said, who is the Lord? Oh, do not say so, king. Do not say so. He said, who is the Lord? And here's what the Lord did to a man that says, who is the Lord? Exodus 7 and verse 13. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Is truth a right? No, it's not a right. Because if it was a right, God wouldn't have hardened Pharaoh's heart. Truth is not a right. It's a blessed privilege. And there was sufficient evidence in the creation of the heavens and the earth for Pharaoh to know that there was a God. And he was the God, the monotheistic God of the Israel that Moses worshipped. The Jehovah of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he rejected that God for the multitude polytheistic gods that the Egyptians had made up and said, who is the Lord? And that's in capital L-O-R-D in your Bible. If you look and see the caps in your King James Bible, it's L-O-R-D because the King James translators are preserving the Hebrew intent of that tetragrammaton, the four-syllable abbreviation for I am that I am, Jehovah of Israel. So what did the Lord do? He hardened his heart. That's chapter 7 and verse 13. Flip over to Exodus 14. Exodus 14 and verse 8. Exodus 14, 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. 713 is the beginning of Moses' dealings with Pharaoh. God hardened his heart. Chapter 14 is the Red Sea. God hardened his heart again. See, any one of you would know better that after God had pounded you with ten plagues in the land of Egypt, that when you came to the Red Sea and the water was stacked up very high on both sides and the Israelites were about to reach the other shore, that it would be foolhardy to ride your chariot down into the Red Sea. All of you would know better than that. In fact, most horses would know better than that. Horses don't like water. I've said to you before, if you ever watch equestrian sports and watch one of these highly trained horses come to a water jump, even when they're on television, even when they're in the Olympics, they'll come to a water jump that they've made 10,000 times and say, I don't like it today. And they'll brace all four legs and the rider just takes a launch and lands in the water himself. You've seen that, haven't you? have seen it, haven't you? It happens. Horses don't like water. But Pharaoh said, I can make it. How, how did he think that? Because God hardened his heart. All he could think of was his fury because his pride had been hurt because the Israelites had left and robbed the nation. They had taken the gold and silver and wealth of Egypt for past wages in building his pyramids that, he, that they hadn't been paid. And they took the wealth of Egypt and so God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. You know, when we look at something like this, we rejoice at God's power and delivering his people out of Egypt. We delight in those Israelites landing on the other shore of the Red Sea And Exodus chapter 15 is given to a song and a dance by Miriam as they watched Egyptians float up on shore. This is what the people of God celebrated in Exodus 15. But brethren, 
We should look beyond that and thank the God of heaven that we have not been hardened yet as God hardened Pharaoh. And he is able to do it to you and to me if we do not humble ourselves before him. Truth is not a right. It is a privilege. And he will blind your eyes and harden your heart. And here's the terrible thing about it. You will not know that he has blinded your eyes, stopped up your ears, and hardened your heart because you will think that you still have the truth. Pharaoh did not go down into the Red Sea saying to himself, I know I'm not going to make it. I know that God has hardened my heart. He went down in there believing he was going to make it. To be deceived is terrible. To, is terrible. And most... Did you just hear the numbers I went through? Do you know how big six and a half billion is? Most of your calculators can't handle it. Six and a half billion is a lot of people. And do you know how few have held the truth? And it's always been that way. The whole earth was drowned and there were eight saved alive in the ark. Eight against thousands and thousands. Truth is rare. We better pray to God that He doesn't deceive us. Because those, pe- those Buddhists don't think that they're deceived. They don't go to worship this morning saying, I know I'm deceived and I should be a Christian. They say, I've got the truth, and poor Christians have never met my fat-bellied God. Look at Psalm 147. In the middle of your Bible, Psalm 147. Is truth a right? We just want to pound home the answers from God's Word. We are Bible Christians in this church, and all we want to do is stick to God's Word. We don't care what's popular. We don't care what's traditional. We don't care what's well-accepted. We don't care what's in the purpose-driven manual of Rick Warren. What we care about is what does God say? Because this is truth, and if we veer from this, He'll deceive us. He'll blind our eyes. Psalm 147. Look at the last two verses. Psalm 147. Is truth a right? Does a nation have the right to truth? Psalm 147.19. He showeth His word unto Jacob, His statutes and His judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for His judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. God showed His truth to only one nation. And when we read the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we're told about the nation of Israel. It was the smallest of all nations. He didn't pick Israel because they were the largest, but because they were the smallest. Do you know how much discrimination that has? He showed the truth. He gave His Word to the smallest nation, and He did not deal so with any other nation. No one has a right to the truth. It is a blessed privilege from God. And I address you today as the people of God that God has shown mercy on and He has shown you His Word and given you His statutes. And for that we ought to say, Praise ye the Lord. As this psalm ends. 1 Kings 22. I'm hoping that most of you read it last evening. 1 Kings 22. The story of Ahab. And the day that God said he was going to die. First Kings 22. 
Ahab is the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah. God loved Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat was a good king. Ahab was a terrible king. Ahab had 400 preachers of his own. They were all liars. And it's no different today. The Bible says those men that turn away their ears from the truth and are turned into fables because they don't like sound doctrine, it says they heap, they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. There's a whole lot of teachers, even with so-called Christian teachers, but they're false teachers. And they heap them together so that with their great numbers, they think that they've got the truth. Ahab had 400 false teachers, 400 false prophets. He said, should I go to battle against the Syrians? His 400 preachers said, go, you're going to prosper. Jehoshaphat could look at all of them and knew that they were false prophets. And he says in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 7, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? Who cares what your 400 stooges have to say? I want a prophet of God to come in here and tell us what's going to happen before I go out there and face arrows and swords and spears. What did Ahab say in the next verse? Verse 8. Ahab, the king of Israel, said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. But I hate him. And that's so popular today. I hate that church. I hate that pastor. All they do is preach all the time. All they do is preach doctrine. I want to go and feel better when I go to church. I want someone to make me happy. It's just what Ahab thought. Look at him. Look at what he said. I hate him. For he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He doesn't say good things about me. He's always stepping on my toes. He's telling me I'm wrong. He's condemning me before God. I can't stand him. Well, there's a reason that preacher had to say those things about Ahab. He was a wicked king. When you go to the house of the Lord, you better want to be told you're wrong. If you go to the house of the Lord just to be told that you're right, you've got a problem and you're in the wrong place. We want to come before the Lord and be shown what's wrong in our lives so that we can correct it and we can please Him more perfectly. This man right here, King Ahab, was just like the carnal Christians of today who want fables and entertainment rather than the Word of God blasting them and their compromise with the world. I hate him. He never says anything good about me. Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Do you know why Jehoshaphat knew that to talk like that was to ask to be deceived? To talk like that was to beg God to close your eyes, stop up your ears, and harden your heart so that you would not hear, see, or believe. The 400 are getting really excited. The 400 got their praise band going. And they're all jumping around in front of King Ahab. They put some horns on. And they get down and they buck around. And they show, this is the way that you're going to destroy the Syrians. You've got to read this chapter. It's, it's, it's super. It's wonderful. Amen. These 400 are just going wild. 400! Now that's a lot of prophets. That's a lot of seminary degrees, brother. That is a lot of THDs when you've got 400 gathered together. 
And they went and got poor Micaiah out of the parsonage. The parsonage for Micaiah was the dungeon. And they went and got him out and they said to him, Now the 400 of the ministerial association are all saying good things about King Ahab, and we expect you to preach like them. And he said, Whatever the Lord gives me to preach, that's what I'm going to say. And you better want a pastor here or any other time, and it has nothing to do with me. We better have men of God that will preach what God says without regard to the ministerial association, even if they're outnumbered 400 to 1. Numbers mean absolutely nothing in the opinion of God. They never have. The truth has always been held by a minority, and when something is in the majority and it's popular, that is proof by itself without looking anywhere else that it's a lie. Micaiah said, verse 14, whatever the Lord tells me, that's what I'm going to tell you. So he came in before the king, and the king said to him, this is Ahab, verse 6, no, verse 15, shall I go up to battle? 1 Kings 22, 15, Micaiah said, go and prosper. The Lord's with you. You're going to get a victory. Now that's a lie. That's a lie. The prophet of God lied to King Ahab because God was going to kill Ahab. The time had come for Ahab to die. He was a wicked man and God was going to judge him. Now why did the prophet say that? Because of what King Ahab wanted. King Ahab said, I hate him because he never says anything good about me. He sends a messenger and says, tell me, tell the king something good. Because the ministerial, the ministerial association all said something good. You say something good. So he came in and said something good. Is it wrong of God to give somebody something that they want? Is that unkind? Was he unkind to Ahab to lie to him? Ahab begged for the lie. Ahab begged for it. I don't want to hear the truth. I want to hear something good. Well, the truth that day was he was going to die. So Micaiah told him what he wanted to hear. Go and prosper. You're going to win today. And then what does Ahab say? Verse 16. How many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? See, Ahab knew he was lying. Ahab knew he was lying. Here's a king you couldn't please if you told the truth or if you lied to him. And so you know what? When you have that kind of an attitude, guess what's going to happen? You are going to believe a lie. And Micaiah then gives them a little story. And he says, I saw heaven opened. And the great God was sitting on his throne. And all the host of heaven was gathered around him. And all that host of the armies of the angels. And the great God of heaven said... Today's the day for Ahab to die. Who's going to get him to battle so that I can kill him? One angel raised his hand and said, what about this idea? Another angel raised his hand and said, I got another idea. Then a third angel, you can read it, read it for yourselves. A third angel raised his hand and said, I got an idea. I'll be a lying spirit. I'll go and be a lying spirit in the mouths of his 400 member ministerial association so that when he asks his ministerial association what he ought to do, they're all going to agree that he ought to go to battle and he's going to be successful. The Lord said, great idea. I'll bless it. Go and prosper. That's in verses 19 down through verse 23. Ahab said, well, I'm going to prove the Lord wrong. Oh, are you feeling sorry for Ahab? No one should feel sorry for Ahab. I'm going to prove the Lord wrong. I'm going to go into battle disguised. And Jehoshaphat, you go in looking like a king. They'll think that I am you. 
and they won't find me, and I'll come back and prove Micaiah can't tell the truth. He's not a true prophet of God. So Ahab went into battle disguised. And if you read the rest of the chapter, a certain Syrian drew an arrow at a venture. He just shot a chance arrow into the sky and to see where it might come down. And that arrow came down and found the cracks in Ahab's armor and went right through it and fatally wounded him. But, he, but the Lord wanted to keep him alive long enough so that his heart could pump out the rest of his blood into the chariot so that the dogs could eat and drink his blood because that had been the judgment promised by Elijah chapters earlier about Ahab. And if you read the rest of that account up to verse 40, you will find that chariot was hauled back to Samaria and the dogs licked the blood of that chariot and it says they washed his armor. And the they are not the chauffeur in Samaria. The they is the dogs that washed the armor of Ahab. Now, do you know how all that happened? And that ought to cause us to tremble. Because that man had an attitude of, I don't like him. He doesn't preach the way I want him to preach. He doesn't preach the things I want to hear. He doesn't make me feel good. And so that he heaped to himself 400 preachers. And today men have heaped to themselves teachers having itching ears. They want men that will scratch their ears and make them feel good about themselves. Is truth a right? If truth was a right, God wouldn't have sent a lying spirit to Ahab. Truth is not a right, it's a privilege, and you better treat that privilege with care. Look at Ezekiel 14. Ezekiel 14. Don't you ever come before the Word of God, or the man of God, or into His worship, with an idol set up in your heart that you're going to protect. Because if you come with an idol set up in your heart, God's going to deceive you. Look at this. These are the people of God. Ahab was a member of the church of God. Just a terrible member. And if you were in Israel, you were a member of the church of God, of the Old Testament. These are the people of God. Ezekiel 14 Verse 1, Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? This is the Lord asking a rhetorical question. What's the answer to that question, Mark? Yes or no? No. God is not inquired of. You don't ask God and get an answer when you come with an idol set up in your heart. Something that you are going to protect. Something you think, you believe, you could be pretty well persuaded that the Bible is going to condemn, but you want it. So you go ahead and come to church, but you're, you're going to keep that thing. Well, just understand that when you've set up something in your heart that you're going to keep, God is going to deceive you by His own prophets. Verse 9. I'm summarizing the, verse, the 11 verses here that we ought to read, but we don't have time. Verse 9. And if the prophet be deceived, when he hath spoken a thing, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. And I will stretch out my hand upon him, and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeketh unto him. God will judge them both. Both the man that comes to the prophet of God and the prophet. God's going to deceive the prophet so that he tells the man asking him a question a lie. 
And He's going to judge them both. And all of it's based on having worship, based on idols already set up in your heart. Is truth a right? If it was a right, God wouldn't deceive prophets. It's not a right. It's a blessed privilege and we ought to protect it. Look at Amos chapter 8. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. 8, 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they're going to wander all over looking for it, and they're not going to find it. Behold, the days come, verse 11, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine. I will send the famine. God sends the famine for God's words. If truth was a right, God wouldn't send a famine for His words. But God does send a famine for His words, so therefore truth is not a right, it is a privilege. Matthew chapter 10 in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 10. O Lord, we thank Thee for Thy truth. And we pray that You would show us more and help us by Your Spirit to obey all that You show us. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth. You know that He's talking about the apostles. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, And into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There's the ministry of Jesus Christ. Do you know what was happening all around Israel at this time? Gentiles were dying and never getting to hear the truth. Because Jesus told His apostles at this point in time not to go preach to Gentiles, not to enter cities of the Samaritans, but to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If truth is a right, then why did God limit it from the Gentiles and give it to the Jews. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. These aren't popular passages anymore. But they're popular here because they're part of God's Word. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. It was good in the sight of God to take the truth that Jesus Christ preached and to hide it from the wise and prudent. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes that had gone to seminary and were so proud of their learning. God hid the truth that Jesus preached from them and revealed it to the babes that came to hear Him. The babes that were fishermen. The babes that were just mere tax collectors. The babes that were prostitutes and harlots in the land of Israel. He revealed it to them. They understood. The common people, the Bible tells us, heard Him gladly. But the educated and the intelligentsia rejected Him. Because God had hid that wisdom from them. 
If truth is a right, why did God hide it from the wise and prudent? He would have owed it to them as well as any other if truth was a right. But truth is a privilege. And we better be thankful for it. Look at Matthew 13. Matthew 13. You know, when you start a sermon like this, most people say, well, you're in the Old Testament. God was different back then. Well, we're not there anymore. We're here in Matthew 10, and he limited it to the Jews away from the Gentiles in chapter 10. He hid it from the wise and prudent in chapter 11. And here we are in 13, and the disciples are perplexed. They have a big crowd. They went and worked the community. You know I'm speaking as a fool. They went and worked the community, passed out raffle tickets, and they got a huge crowd for Jesus. And then Jesus starts to preach to them in parables. A parable is a riddle. A parable is a very difficult thing to figure out exactly what is intended. And the the disciples pull Jesus aside and say, we've got the crowd, but you're speaking to them in parables. They don't know what you're talking about. Take advantage of the moment. Let's look at it. Verse 10, Matthew 13. The disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Here's the answer that ought to cause us to tremble. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. To them it is not given. You can go on and read the next five verses, and he just pounds that same thought home. To them it was not given. God chooses some that he's going to show the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to, and to others he's not going to show it to them. God discriminates. God divides and God separates men. God blesses. And brethren, we ought to be thankful for what God has blessed us with this morning and pray for greater blessing. This is Matthew 13. Look at Acts 16. When we were back, Acts chapter 16 is where we want to go. When we were back there in Matthew chapter 10, I could hear someone saying, well, he didn't send his gospel to the Gentiles yet, but he was about to. And then it was going to be opened up to everyone. He was just going to show the truth to everyone. Okay, we're in Acts now. The apostles are preaching to the Gentiles. And we're in Acts chapter 16, and the apostle Paul was wondering where he ought to preach next. We take up in verse 6. Acts 16.6 Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the Word in Asia. Now that wasn't very nice. The Holy Ghost wouldn't let Paul preach in Asia. I think it's very nice. And the God of heaven is right and perfect and true and just in all that He does. Verse 7, After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. That means they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. They tried to preach in Asia. The Holy Ghost wouldn't let them. They tried to preach in Bithynia. The Holy Ghost wouldn't let them. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. 
Paul couldn't preach in Asia. Paul couldn't preach in Bithynia. God wanted Paul preaching in Macedonia. And when he went into Macedonia, he found the capital city, Philippi, and there he found Lydia, the jailer in the jailer's household, and there was a church built there. God separates the truth from some and gives it to others. We read this morning that God sends strong delusion on some men. You can't gainsay the Bible. God sent strong delusion that men would believe a lie. And that's far more than those He has sent the sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of the truth to. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. Truth is not a right. Truth is a blessing from heaven. And we should be thankful for it. Second Timothy 2. Paul is telling Timothy how to be a perfect minister. Second Timothy 2.25 In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Timothy... Don't you strive or fight because you can't change the hearts of men. You be apt to teach. You be patient. You be gentle. But we've got to depend upon God if, if God peradventure will give repentance. He didn't say, Timothy, be patient, be apt to teach because God's going to give repentance. He said, if God will grant repentance. And there you better humble yourself before God. His choice to give repentance or to withhold repentance is all in His power. He doesn't owe repentance to any of us. If He gives it to even one of us, we should be thankful. But He's given it to most of us. And we should praise His name. You say, it doesn't seem right to me that God would withhold the truth from men and give it to others. Let me remind you of a few things. First of all, You had your choice at truth in the Garden of Eden. God gave you the truth when He said, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. You entertained a discussion with a lying devil who said, Thou shalt not surely die. You chose the lie over truth. God's giving you what you want. How in the world can you complain against Him? The Bible tells us, that children are formed in the womb and they come forth speaking lies. Psalm 58 and verse 3. Psalm 51 and verse 5. David knew that he was conceived in iniquity and shapen in sin. We come out with a nature that would rather have a lie. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we walk according to the course of this world. Our nature before we're born again, we want to follow the world. We want to follow the prince of the power of the air, the devil himself. And what does the Bible tell us about the devil? He is a liar and the father of it. John 8.44 But before we're born again, we have a heart that wants to willingly follow the devil. We would rather have a lie than to have the truth. This is the Word of God about our condition. Children that are born and grow up, foolishness is bound in their hearts. It's bound there. Remember the passage that our brother Mike read to us this morning from Isaiah 44. That man that has a leftover tree, he takes a third of it to warm himself. And he says, ah, fire feels good from a third of this tree trunk. 
And then he uses another third of the tree trunk to bake his bread and to roast his meat. And he eats that. Mmm, what a wonderful way to use this log. And then he says, what am I going to do with this leftover third? I think I'll carve it up and make it a god and fall down to it and worship it. Now that is just ridiculously absurd. But if it wasn't for the grace of God, you and I would be side by side before some totem pole asking for it to deliver us. And the Lord said, he's got a lie in his right hand and can't deliver himself. He cannot look at the fact that he just burned up two-thirds of that tree and now he's worshiping the remaining third. He can't see it. He can't figure it out because God's blinded his eyes. That was what we had read to us from Isaiah 44. We would prefer a lie. You know, listen to Jesus Christ. He is addressing the Jews and he said, And ye believe me not, because I tell you the truth. John 8.45 Ye are of your father the devil, is John 8.44. And the lust of your father you're going to do. He was a liar, so you're little liars. You love a lie. And, and ye believe me not, because I tell you the truth. That's the nature we have from our parents. And it's terrible. What, we, what should we do? What should we do? You know, if you have the hearts of those men that were on the day of Pentecost, when they heard Peter preach, when he got near the end, they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You should be asking, what shall we do? Let me give you a few things that we ought to do before I finish. What should we do in order for God to keep showing us truth? We better thank God. You know, we started with 2 Thessalonians 2.13 where it says, But we are bound to give thanks always. How often? A Thanksgiving day once a year for truth? Always. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So we are bound to give thanks. The first thing, we're bound to do it. If we don't do it, God's going to see that we're unthankful and that we don't appreciate the truth that He's shown us and He'll blind us and you won't know when you're blinded. Do you understand blinding? It means you don't know. You're deceived. You go through the motions of religion and you're lost. We better be thankful. Let's be like Jacob was in Genesis and say, I am not worthy of the least of all the truth that you've shown me. Look at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verse 18. You better pay attention when we come into the house of God and have the Word of God opened to us, read to us, explained to us. You better be paying attention. Because if you don't, God will take a bit away the little bit that you think you have. That's the way He deals with men. This is a verse addressed not to His enemies, but to the people of Israel. Luke chapter 8. This is the parable of the sower. But there's one verse that's more important than all the rest. You can play around all you want with the metaphors of the parable. What counts is the conclusion and application that Jesus Christ made in verse 18. Luke 8:18. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. Take heed how you hear. When we come into a worship service, we better pay attention because this is a warning from God that we better pay attention. Luke 8.18, take heed how you listen. 
Because if you do not listen carefully, and if you do not listen submissively, and if you do not take the Word of God home and apply it, God will take away the little bit that you think you have. You really don't have any, but God's going to take away what you think you have. And to somebody that comes humbly and prepares for worship and goes home and applies it to their life and rejoices in it and speaks about it, God's going to give them more. And they're going to grow in truth. And that's the way it's always been. Men get, wise, men get wiser and smarter and know more of the things of God and grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And others get duller and darker depending on how you approach the preaching of God's Word. So we should be thankful and we better pay attention. We better not be afraid or ashamed of God's Word before anyone. In Jeremiah chapter 1, I'm just going to read it to you. Hear these words when God commissioned Jeremiah to preach. Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. Even God's prophet Jeremiah if he was afraid of men, if, if he was afraid of taking a stand for the truth and preaching the whole truth because of somebody's frowning face, God would confound him. Those are ladies that get into pulpits that are afraid of men's faces. Jeremiah wasn't afraid of faces and neither was Ezekiel. And neither have the men of God, the true men of God, been from the days of Moses forward. But what about you? Are you afraid of men? The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. It will trap you into believing a lie because you're afraid of men. Don't you ever be afraid of what other people think. You just take a stand on God's Word and do not be moved off it. We better be thankful. We better take heed how we hear. We better not be afraid of anyone. We better search the Scriptures daily and prove all things because the Bible tells us to do that. We better humble ourselves like Solomon. Solomon said, I am but a little child. You should not be ashamed to say that. Solomon said to the Lord, I don't know how to go out or to come in. You should be able to say, I don't know what to do. And it's that man that God shows His truth to. If you say, I already know that. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Come as a humble Solomon and say that you're but a little child and you better obey what you learn. The Bible teaches us that you better obey what you learn. Ahab didn't want to obey what he'd been taught and so the Lord blinded him. Look at Psalm 43 and I'll close. The last thing we want to do is beg the God of heaven for truth. David has more of the prayers for truth than any other Bible writer. There's many other things that could be said, but I hope that you'll go home and right now in your hearts you'll be thankful for the truth God's shown you. You'll commit that you're going to pay attention when the Word of God is opened and read and preached. That you're going to fear no man, but you're going to stand on Scripture. That you're going to search the Scriptures to see if something's right. You're not going to go on popular opinion or because it's traditional or any other basis. But does the Bible say that? We're going to obey what we hear. And we're going to humble ourselves before God and be like a little child. Lord, show me your truth. Teach me, Daddy. Psalm 43. Verse 3. 
Oh, send out Thy light and Thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto Thy holy hill and to Thy tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise Thee, O God, my God. The prayer is in verse 3 about truth. O send out Thy light and Thy truth, let them lead me. Let them bring me unto Thy holy hill and to Thy tabernacles. This must be our prayer. Truth is not a right. Truth is a gift from God and a blessing to His children. And we should be thankful for it. We should pay attention to what we hear. We should pray and ask God for more. Father in heaven, O send out Thy light and Thy truth to us. And let them lead us. And let them take us to Thy holy hill. Father in heaven, We thank Thee for every bit of truth that Thou hast shown us. We are not proud nor are we haughty in what You have shown us because we are unworthy of this blessing and this gift. Heavenly Father, if the truth were to be told and we tell it to Thee, if it had not been for Your grace, we would have been swallowed up by false religion and would have been zealous as the best or the worst of them. Father in heaven, what truth we do not see, show it to us. We will turn. We will change. We will repent. And we will follow hard after Thee. We want all that Thou hast for us. Do not deny us a thing that we might serve Thee wholly in spirit and in truth. These things we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.